So basically, I think after growing up in church my whole entire life, as I've said before, I feel like it's a miracle that I can still stand church. Anybody ever feel that way? Or is it just, no? No one else feels that way? You guys all are liars. Um, You know, like when I was a kid, there were all these things about church that I thought were just weird or didn't make sense. Or for me, the reason why I often felt like church wasn't for me was not because of church. It was because of people. You know what I'm talking about? Like you see people and they're hypocrites or, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like that was always a challenge. So as I've said before, um, my, like my life goal, I have two goals that I'd say are my ultimate goals in life. My ultimate goals are that I want to end my life loving Jesus. And number two, I want to end my life loving the church. The first one is super easy. Second one, not as easy. <laughs> And it's just because of the people factor. I feel like the people factor you know, makes it challenging. Um, when I was 16 years old, uh, I was attending this church, and I was like, starting to grow in my faith. Like my, my relationship with God, I'd say, was starting to blossom. And I was getting to that point where I was like, you know what? i got to figure out my faith for myself. Like I can't just go off of what my mom and dad have been saying forever. Because as a kid, mom and dad made me go to church. I would always try to fight them on it. But guess who won that argument? parents all the time, right? So I'm always at church. And, and so I find myself you know, at 16 starting to like try to figure it out. And there was this young couple at our church that was like super cool. And they're probably 24, 25. And they just were, they just were cool. And uh, I'd see him on Sunday mornings and the guy would like have his hands up and he'd be worshiping freely and singing. And I was like, man, he just seems so authentic. And he seems like he really is not afraid of what other people think, and he's, he's always engaged in worship. I want to be like that. And, and this couple, they're like, they came up to me one Sunday and said, hey, we'd love to take you out for lunch. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this, is, this is awesome. Like, they really want to spend some time with me. And they're like, yeah, we'd just really like to get to know you, and we just see something different about you. And I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. And so we went out to Subway, because that's where you go after church, apparently. And they bought me a sandwich, and I was like, I was just so, like, um, honored, you know. And then they threw this big, big binder of Amway and tried to sign me up. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, no joke, my heart sank in that moment because I was like, you're liars. You don't think I'm different? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then fast forward a few months later, I, I started learning more about this couple. And in him in particular, um, he, while he was going to church on Sundays, he also was living a double life and ended up having affairs. There was tons of addiction issues and all these things. And, and I remember at the end of that, I was probably like 17 when it all came, came out, I was like, okay, so this guy on Sunday mornings could stand up there and could sing and could raise his hands and could look super spiritual. But would you all agree that his lifestyle didn't match up? Everybody agree? Yeah, and it really, it really messed me up for a little while because then I went through this like wilderness period of trying to figure out like what is worship? Like what does it actually mean to worship? And about two weeks ago, we started this new sermon series that we're calling Doxa. And Doxa is the Greek word for glory. It's, a, it's, it's a one way to think about worship. And we've been working through the book of Exodus and we've followed the story of Moses. How many of you know who Moses is? Just out of, okay. How many of you have no idea who Moses is? You would never raise your hand in church, would you? Like, you just wouldn't. You'd be like, oh, I know who it is. She's an awesome lady in the Bible. Like, I love her. 
Um, but we've been following the story of Moses in, in Exodus, uh, in the book of Exodus, and we saw in the first four chapters we looked at, we saw Moses was born, the people of Israel were in slavery and bondage, the Egyptians, Pharaoh was really cruel to them and was basically taking advantage of the situation. We saw that God desired to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt so that they could worship, right? And then we saw that Pharaoh says, no way, you can't take them. And then God begins to rain down judgment upon Egypt in the 10 plagues. And ultimately, we saw that Moses finally is told by Pharaoh, fine, just take the people of Israel. Just get them out of here. I do not want to be having to suffer and face these judgments. And so they, they go. And then the Jewish people are at the, at the crossing of the Red Sea. And what happens is uh, Pharaoh says, no, I want them back. And then sends the army after them. And then God um, splits the Red Sea. The people of Israel start crossing it. And then uh, God destroys the, the Egyptian army. And so we, that was chapter 14 and 15 last week. And, and what I want to do today is I want to look at Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. And just before we get there, what I think we've seen multiple times now is, is this. We see that God does some miraculous, um, transformative, powerful thing. He does something for the people of Israel. And then right after that, the people of Israel start grumbling, complaining, and they doubt God. And it just happens over again. It's like this cycle all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, we see it where there's these cycles of, of renewal after the people of Israel kind of like turn their back on God. And so what's happening right before the passage we're going to read today is God has provided, the people of Israel are in the wilderness, and God has miraculously provided manna from heaven. So quail and manna, which tastes like, like honeycomb, um, it keeps coming every single day they, they get that. Uh, how many of you like quail, just out of curiosity? Like, yeah, it's like if you like, if you like chicken that tastes amazing, that's what you would want, quail. And so every day they're getting that provided for them. And yet the people of Israel still complain. It's a really interesting phenomenon. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. And this is what we read. We read, Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Raphidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob, that's the Jewish people, announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded them. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answers back to the Lord. And so, Father, I pray now that as we spend just a few minutes thinking about how to apply what we're learning and engaging in Scripture, that your Spirit would guide us, direct us, empower us, bring conviction where conviction is needed, hope where hope is needed, all the things that are needed in this room, would you have your way and do those things? We pray this in your name. Amen. So 
you know, for the past few weeks, we've really been just talking about worship. You know, we've been talking about what does it mean to worship and what is worship. Um, and, you know, part of my full disclosure is that I feel like my whole life has been trying to figure out worship. You know, because I think in every single church tradition, there's certain things that people say worship is. Like, worship is this, worship is that. And for me, as a follower of Jesus, what's most important to me is what does the Bible teach about worship? What does the Bible teach about worship? And so what we've seen is, is we've had two definitions kind of being fleshed out. What? What's wrong? You don't like the sermon? I don't understand. What do you want better? You want, you want more jokes? Skate. Hey, uh, on a side note, I just want to say something really quick. I think it's so awesome that we have kids in our church because I have a friend right now who's pastoring a church that has no kids and they are desperate for crying babies running around their children or their church. And I'm like, we do not have that problem at the vineyard. Uh, but isn't that true that we are grateful for kids, right? I just want to say that. Like, it's awesome. More kids, the, mer- the better. That being said, shut up. Just kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm just, just, just kidding. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It was there. I went for it. All right. So this, this definition of worship, though, let's think about this. So what we've talked about is two definitions. We've talked about how worship is an outward expression of an inward reality right? We said it's an outward expression of an inward reality. And then we've also talked about how worship um, is a response to God's grace, God's work, and God's salvation. Like, it's, it's a response. So it's something that we do in response to what God has done for us, okay? And I think that's an important distinction because many times people think that, like, we have to, like, worship and earn God, and then God will, like, respond and, and meet us where we're at. But it doesn't work that way, right? God meets us where we're at, and because of his grace and his mercy and his love and his goodness and his kindness, the response that we offer him is is worship, right? And so these are the two definitions we've been kind of, we've already seen, and I think one of my favorite passages just to help stimulate us in the direction of worship is from Psalm 95, and the psalmist says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. And I love that passage, you know, because the psalmist just gives us the direction. And one of the things that I remember struggling with as a kid is this idea that men, men couldn't worship and men couldn't sing. Like, I remember feeling like that, that way until I started going to a church where all the men participated in worship, and that made a difference in my life, you know, those things. And so don't, don't underestimate you and your participation of worship sets an example for people around you and can help actually encourage their, their faithfulness to this. So we saw these two definitions earlier, outward expression, inward reality, and it's a response to God's grace, work, and salvation. But today I want to talk about worship through this lens right here, that worship is obedience. Worship is obedience. The Hebrew uh, verb that's behind the the verb uh, for, we we, we would say worship, you know, like when we say, I worship God. The Hebrew word behind that literally means to bow down and surrender and to to sacrifice or be in submission. That's what the the context of, of worship is in the Old Testament. And that's what we saw in Exodus uh, that we read earlier, is that the people of Israel are told, obey and keep my commandments. And then don't you love how all of Israel is like, we will do everything the Lord has said. You know, like we're totally on board. 
And as I've said before, I mean, it is not lost upon me that Moses goes up to Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments and the giving of the law. He gets all of God's commandments for Israel given to him. And remember, just before this, God has, what has God done so far in Exodus? He has raised up Moses. He has delivered the people of Israel. He's rained down ten different plagues on all of the Egyptians. He has proven time and time again that he's going to be faithful to his people, right? He has miraculously provided grace, salvation, hope. He's kept all of his promises. And so while Moses is up on the mountain and he's getting the law, you know what the people of Israel are doing? It's like literally 15 minutes after God's done all those things. and like, I don't know what we should do. What do you think about making a golden calf and worshiping it? Like, it is crazy. When we read the story, we're like, oh my gosh, are they not? They're just dumb, right? That's what we say. But we do the same thing, right? Like on Sunday mornings, oh, God is so good. The goodness of God will follow me all the days of my life. And then, you know, Sunday afternoon, we're with our family, and the football game's on, and some kid runs in the room and unplugs the TV. We lose our minds, right? Like, how dare you? God's judgments be upon you and tenfold of your family, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, like, this is the reoccurring cycles that we go through as human beings, where it's like one minute we, we recognize God for who he is and we engage in worship, and the next minute it's like we forget. We forget how good God is. And that's why I think the better we have an understanding of what worship is and what worship requires, the more that we're going to live that as a lifestyle. And that's essentially what we see right here. As we see God saying, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to obey and keep my commandments. I want you to obey and keep my commandments. And what's interesting is that it's after God has delivered the people of Israel that he gives them the law. And I think that that's really important for us to realize because so many of us have this upside-down, backwards way of understanding the kingdom of God where we think that we have to like, you know, do everything right and get cleaned up and then God will accept us. But folks, can I just tell you the truth of the gospel? Is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? That he welcomes us and meets us where we're at. And then the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus wants to meet us where we're at, love us right where we're at, and then he wants to transform us and not leave us where we're at. And that's the, that's the story of the kingdom that's laid out in all of Scripture. And so it's important for us to understand that, I think, because people have it backwards so often. They have uh, uh, All the time I meet people who, you know, they'll, like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, I actually... I'm always trying to figure out a way to answer that question, by the way. So, like, my recent one is like, well, I work for a nonprofit. And they're like, oh, what nonprofit do you work for? Uh, it's a community gathering of people. We sing karaoke every Sunday. You know, we read books. I don't know. And so we'll get around, like, I, I actually, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And it's like, I, I know this is, I'm just telling you, I'm, like, trying to get there. I'm like, I'm a pastor. Like, oh, Really? You know, and they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, have you ever gone to church? And most of the time people are like, oh, yeah, I went a couple times when I was younger. I'm like, okay. And they always have, most of the time they have some crazy story, right? And, you know, like somebody treated them poorly in the church or their uncle was kicked out because their uncle got a divorce or something like that to where they felt really judged. And like, well, the church is not for me. And I'm always like, well, that's not, uh, that's not God's, God want, you know, I'm trying to like get around to it. And then they'll say something like this. They'll always say to me, they're like, you, 
you know, I, I, I might come and check out your church. You seem a little different, you know, but if I walked into your church, man, all the church walls would fall down. And I, I kid you not, I, every single time they say that, I always say, you need to meet the people in our church. <laughs> like, if you met them, you would probably be okay, right? And on a serious note, like, that's the whole point of the kingdom. The whole point of the kingdom is to realize that God loves us more than we could ever imagine, and his desire is to be a part of our lives so that he could put our lives back together. And we're going to get to that in a minute here, but, but that's the thing. Worship is obedience. Worship is obedience, as we see in Scripture. And, and this is part of discipleship, the whole idea of becoming, you know, becoming something, growing into something, or as I would like to say, the better, the better that we become like someone, we grow into someone who is Jesus Don Williams, uh, this really famous uh, vineyard theologian who passed away a, a while back, he said this. He said, if you worship money, you become a greedy person. You worship sex, you become a lustful person. You worship power, you become a corrupt person. We all know that from politics, right? But then listen to this. He says, worship Jesus, become a Christ-like person. We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. And so surrendering to God in a life of obedience is ultimately what worship is really about. You know, and, and I feel like in the church we've got two problems oftentimes. We have two extremes. You know, on one hand, people, I think, um, often just sit and watch worship. You know, they don't participate. They observe. I, I've shared before how when I was a kid, I, it really impacted me when I walked in and I saw a bunch of people reading newspapers while people were singing. Like, that messed me up because I'm like, Hold on, if we're actually supposed to be recognizing God for who he is, would we not all agree that reading a newspaper while people are worshiping is probably not a great thing? It just seems a little, like it misses the point. And so on one hand, we have people who just sit and watch and don't participate. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of people that seem to think that worship is just singing. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to worship now to sing, and then after that I'm good. I got my worship on. I felt the goosebumps. Right? And, and the problem is, is that the, both of those things miss it. We should both sing and raise our hands and respond with outward expressions while also understanding that worship is ultimately about surrendering every area of our lives to God. If we live a lifestyle of worship, we no longer put up signs on areas of our life that say no trespassing. Right? We actually allow God to have everything. One of the most helpful definitions of worship for me is is found in the book of Romans where Paul writes these words. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you all see that? It's like clearly worship is much more than just singing. I mean, it's our whole entire bodies, all of us being offered to God, right? Like we say, God, to worship you, you, you get to control everything. And this is just so countercultural to many of our expectations, I think, of what worship is. Because again, we just minimize it so much. You know, the Old Testament prophets remind us of this reality in one of the most, this, what I'm about to read from Amos is one of the most challenging things I've ever read in the Bible. Just listen to this. How, but hold on. How many of you like singing? How many of you like music? Just, it's okay. Yeah, a lot of you do, right? 
A lot of you come because of the music. Like, oh, I love when Mel starts singing. Oh, Lord, right? The minute Jamie hits those keys, I just feel the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are things that I've heard some of you say, okay? I'm not judging you. I think you're funny, but you said it. So we like music. But listen to what Amos says. Tell me this is not challenging to us. Amos says this. He says, I hate, God, this is God speaking through the prophet Amos. He says, I hate all your shows and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Ouch, right? I mean, this is, this is the heart of God, though, is that it's this combination of both singing and also our lives matching up and being fully integrated, right? That's what discipleship is. And so Amos says that. Now, some of you are going to be like, well, that's Old Testament, Luke. That's just the Old Testament prophets. They were different. I'm all about grace. I'm all about Jesus, okay? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. So Jesus says the same exact thing. And so on the one hand, I think this is radical and challenging, and it seems like totally overwhelming to to set our sights on being obedient to all of God's commandments. That seems like, oh my gosh. Seems, oh my gosh. But on the other hand, I think we can take comfort knowing that Jesus also said in this same passage that he would not abandon us, he would not leave us as orphans, but he would send the Holy Spirit to help us to become like him. Let's stand up together. You know, it's like uh, I, I have this friend who, he's a, he's a fly fishing guide, and, and uh, he found out I was a fly fishing guide, and we started talking, and it was weird because he kept asking me really, like, weird questions, like, you know, so uh, what do you do on Sundays? Like, kind of weird. And, uh, and I'm like, what do you do on Sundays? And it took us, like, three or four different conversations over the phone because he lives in New Mexico where finally I find out he's a Christian and he was trying to sniff me out as a Christian too because he was like I think you're a little bit different than a lot of the other fly fishing guide people and so we started talking but he, he said something to me a couple months ago that I found really interesting as he's been growing in his in his uh, like life of worship like he's trying to become more like Jesus he's like I'm not guiding on Sundays anymore and I was like oh What's interesting? Why, why is that? You know? And he's like, well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to help my kids to see the value of worship and the pattern of worship, and so I'm not doing that. And Sunday mornings, you know, we're gonna, we go to our church, and we're singing, and we take the day to do family stuff. And, and I was like, man, that's, that's really cool. And it just reminded me of a conversation I had with somebody in our church a couple of years ago who came up to me and said, Luke, uh, is it okay if I give money to the church? That is a funny question, because I was like, yes, we will take all of it. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you know, I've been praying, and, I, and I'm, I'm kind of new to this church thing, and new, new to the God thing, but 
I feel like God wants me to start prioritizing like every aspect of my life. And one of the things that I've seen is that, you know, financially, God's blessed me and I want to be able to, to worship with that. Is that worship? And so the answer to that question is, yeah, it could be, right? And so just think about every area of your life. Right, close your eyes for a minute. Just think about every area of your life. So some of you in this room, your teachers, some of you are stay-at-home dads, some of you are stay-at-home moms, some of you work in real estate, some of you, you know, work at a factory, some of you don't have jobs, some of you are parents, some of you are spouses. Wherever you're at in life, wherever you're at in life, the question about worship is, are you surrendering everything to God? And what would it look like if you surrendered everything to God? What would it look like to be obedient to Jesus? I'd love to pray for us right now. Father, would you, by your spirit, would you help us to get better at, at surrendering our lives to you? And just with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, um, one, one thing that I know I felt like at times is that I was like, man, there's so many freaking rules. I don't know all of the rules. And here's something that's been really helpful for me. It's like right now, what is the one thing? What's one thing that God is asking you to do? And start there. And so if you're here this morning and you've never made a personal decision to follow Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, I would like to, to turn my life around and to follow you, that could be the first step. For others, it might be something completely different. It might be in relation to your, your friendships, your employment. There's a lot of different areas that we can surrender to God. And so, God, would you help us to discern those, all those things and to recognize where you're at work and how we can respond to that. Help us to be better at expressing outwardly the inward reality that we have. Help us to be able to be better at responding to you and help us to be more obedient to you and your teachings. And now, God, I pray that as you go with each person in this room, that you would bless them, that you would help them to continue to trust you, and that you'd give everyone in this room an opportunity to help other people come to know you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey folks, thanks for coming. Feel free to stick around, grab a cup of coffee. There might be one donut left. I call it.